Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This week on Pop Everything, we start off talking about the new J.D. Salinger documentary. So if you haven't seen that and don't want it spoiled, uh, stay away from that. Then at 23 minutes and 30 seconds, we uh, talk about Elliot Smith, the late songwriter. And then at 40 minutes, we give some new album recommendations. Hello and welcome to Pop Everything, a podcast about pop culture and everything. Yes. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. And I'm Tom. And we're from The Complete Guide to Everything, a different podcast. Yep. Um, Tom? Now, now we're also from this podcast. Yeah. And on the other podcast, we mm-hmm. should say that we're from Pop Everything. Write this down, Sure. Tom. Are I, you writing I'm, this down? I, I have a stenographer taking notes. This week? Uh, we're, well, let's jump right in. Yeah. Salinger. Yes. Tim, I watched this this movie. You know about this movie, Salinger? Um, I do a, it's a documentary yeah about, about uh chesley sully salinger the <laughs> guy that uh landed the airplane in the hudson no, river you're thinking of uh selling sullenberger was that what his name was Sullen- chesley sully sullenberg or sullenberger i think it was burger That's maybe funnier. It, could, it could have been berg i like any 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 reference to a burger um no it, it's about uh the author jd salinger who you might know from the one novel he wrote uh, called Catcher in the Rye. Tom, all right, well, go on. Cause, uh, well, he wrote a lot of short stories, but that's his only novel. Right, uh, 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 a documentary came out about J.D. Salinger, a mm-hmm. uh, famous reclusive writer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I did not see this film. Uh, do you recommend it? I do. It's on Netflix. I put it on because um, I was somewhat interested uh, this guy had a crazy life. I didn't know, like, because all you know nowadays is like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, after Catcher in the Rye, he went into hiding. Right. And he never put uh, another novel out. Uh, it's always been rumored that he uh, he never stopped writing. And one day, maybe that stuff would see the light of day. 
Um, and you know, uh, Catcher in the Rye is kind of like a. What are your feelings on Catcher in the Rye? Catcher in the Rye, I think, is a is a is a fine book. Um, it's all right. I think it, it's been uh, consistently misinterpreted by uh, garbage teenagers throughout the years. Not only that, also uh, would be and successful assassins. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, They've also misinterpreted it. Yeah, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm no, I'm no uh, uh, literary critic, Tom. Well, but I guess and, yeah, by I virtue of this the, uh, documentary, yeah. But like that was more like I see uh, Salinger like this. This was not an admirable character, right? This was not a surrogate uh, for J.D. Salinger, right? This is not like I need to tell the world about. How uh, phonies are the worst. You know how I'll do it. I'll get uh, this this crappy fifteen year old boy and and do it through through his eyes. No, that that kind of was like he and in the interviews with people. They say like Holden Caulfield is him. The, that that was. Have you ever read any of his other stories? Uh, yeah, I've read Franny and Zooey and. Uh, what nine stories is that the, the other collection no that was lisa loeb's backing <laughs> band <laughs> right uh yeah. well i've read their book yeah no it's pretty good it's uh that one about uh uh saying that uh that girl only hears what she wants to mm-hmm. right yeah that's a good book uh you ever read uh raise high the roof beam carpenter no i have not that that's the jam right there yeah and also it's like i not Every one of his characters is a petulant, you know, little piece of garbage. Right. So, like, he just, like, Catcher in the Rye was like, all right, I'm going to base this. Like, I have the capacity to to write a book um, with more nuanced, better, more likable characters, but um, I myself am my, embody all the ideals of my worst character. Is that... Yeah, kind of. Well, you also have to remember that before this book, nobody had written anything like that. That was the... You know what? I No. no. They said this in a documentary that was like a fawning tribute to him. Yeah, but... Whatever. It's like, oh yeah, the Beatles were the first band to use feedback. Well, it was at least nobody that... Nobody had written anything like that that was that popular. Okay. Uh, because he was already very popular, very famous through uh, his, his short stories, stories in, yeah. in the New Yorker. So there was, you know, if if there's, and again, it, you have to remember, like, it's a different time that people read short stories in magazines, and that's what everybody does, and everybody talks about it because there aren't a million other things to do on the internet. Uh, y- you're you're perception of life before the internet i think is a little is a little skewed well i i just think there's it's well no i guess the same thing happens nowadays with it just doesn't happen with magazines like right. it used to where where back then you know the New now Yorker, it's all did you see the new uh uh jenny mccarthy pictorial <laughs> right exactly in this month so they we're not we're, we're just looking at uh the ladies we're not even reading it for the articles anymore well, you just have to remember people are people are buying the New Yorker for the pictures of naked ladies. These I, days. I'm not sure what the New Yorker's uh, uh, circulation was back then, but you know it had to have been way, way, way bigger than it is now. Uh, so, 
a lot of people got it and a lot of people read his work and they were fans of him already. And then when he releases a novel, that's a big deal. And then the novel, well, and this is what made him mad. And this is the Holden Caulfield in him that he got, he was upset about how popular it was because so many people read it and could identify with the character and say, yes, that's how I feel too. And in his mind, it was like, no, that's who you're the phony. Like you're not supposed to feel like him. You're the one he's, he's railing against. And that was part of what, what kind of drove him into seclusion. See, I don't, is, is that the case or is that the documentarian? Here's what I heard about this documentary and Mm -hmm. uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that it was clearly made by a big fan of his, mm-hmm. maybe someone that might have been one of those teenagers who read The Catcher in the Rye. It was like, you know, suddenly that that set his life off on a trajectory where it's kind of hero-worshipping the author because he was able to accurately, like, uh, portray the feelings of a 16- or 15-year-old boy or whatever mm-hmm. when the documentarian read it. And therefore was just like, I'm never going to read anything by anybody else. This is my guy. Like when people get like really into fish and they're like, I don't need any other music. I'll just listen to fish all the time. No, there's definitely uh, a lot of that because they talk with some, um, uh, you know, like uh, there's a lot of on screen interviews with Salinger biographers and historians and stuff. And these guys. Yeah. Super fans. Yeah. Mark David Chapman. Was he on there? (laughs) He was not. Well, actually, he was. There was like a weird. uh, Well, there was one whole section about him, uh, about uh, Hinckley. And uh, there was some other dude. Wait, Hinckley had a catcher in the right thing. When he was asked why he did what he did, he said, all you have to do is read The Catcher in the Rye. That has all the answers. Wait, I thought it was to impress Jodie Foster. It was also that, but like he got the idea that that was how to impress Jodie Foster. How old was John Hinckley? I'm not sure. I think he has that thing uh, where uh, you're a grown-up and you don't realize you're a (laughs) grown-up. Well, he was also a maniac that tried to assassinate a president. Yeah, that's true. Um, but then there was another guy who killed like a Hollywood producer. And all these happened within like a few years. And they were also saying that that was part of. And that makes sense. Like, and they say, yeah, if one person does it, that's, you know, that's a crazy thing. But when three people do it, that's when you start going like, what? Did when I we ought to write. pass a law? Yeah, <laughs> like, and there was only one person, but there was you know a, a friend or something in an interview who said that he once told them like I wish I'd never written that character because you know of how it was interpreted and these maniacs who used it as their justification to mm. murder or try to murder. Um, you know what we should have done while he was alive if I had known this. What? We should have like written them letters, like from uh, different people around the country. Like uh-huh. uh, maybe go on a road trip, and then uh, write a different letter every couple months from like uh, for one from Arizona, being like, "Your book, uh, The Catcher in the Rye, uh, really inspired me to become really good at making delicious pies." Mm-hmm. Right. And then he'll be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and then, like, two months later, he gets a, a postcard from New Orleans from this completely other guy, this mm-hmm. different guy, but it's really us, Tom. Right. And he, it says, uh, you've inspired me to make delicious pies uh, because of your book, uh-huh. uh, The Catcher in the Rye. 
And he'd be like, ah, two. Oh, this is almost a trend here. Uh-huh. And then here's the kicker. One of us using our real uh, names has to win a pie uh, baking contest. Not eating, baking. Baking. Mm-hmm. And then when they say, what do you Not owe trying. it all to? It, when all the newspapers ask, you know, <laughs> well, how did you win? All the national newspapers. Yeah, you say, I, I, uh, I have to credit this to Holden Cough- Caulfield. Uh-huh. Uh, Reed Catcher and the Rye, all you need to know about making delicious pies is in that book. And then J.D. Salinger would have been like, huh, I, yeah, guess, I guess this I'd, book did some good. I don't would, regret it. he would this. have come out of seclusion. Yeah. And then he could have come down to my shop, The Catcher and the Pie. Here's the one big takeaway that I uh, that I got from this, though. Uh, he had a lot of reasons to be an asshole. Uh, yeah. When, so, you know. Because he, he, he was a famously ass-holish figure, right? Later in life. Like, early in life. And there's a lot of people uh, in, in the documentary who are like, no, he, he wasn't uh, a recluse. Like, he, you know, he hung out. Like, you would see him around. Uh, there's one guy who I, I think he goes to like have dinner with, um, some other famous author that lives around there. And he asks them like, uh, Oh, do you ever see JD Salinger? And they're like, why do you ask? And, uh, it's like, Oh, I just heard he lives around here. And she goes, yeah, he was sitting in the chair you're sitting in last night. He came over for dinner. Like he's a regular guy. He hangs out. But anyway, uh, yeah, when people say he's reclusive, it's just he didn't write any more books, right? Yeah, he, he didn't do any interviews, and he didn't. By those he didn't standards, publish any new books. Yeah, I'm I'm reclusive. Yeah, <laughs> he published stories after uh, Catcher in the Rye, but he never published another novel. When was the last story he? Uh, I think uh, Zooey might have been the last. Well, no, that uh, Hatfield something 1924, I think, oh. might have been. Anyway. Uh, but uh, he, when you know, he grew up affluent, um, but kind of rejected all that. Uh, but he was almost pretty quickly like an up and coming writer, and was dating this sixteen year old. He was in his twenties. Um, That's just something you could do back then, I guess. That's yeah. a, or not, that was something that people enjoyed doing. Well, it was a weird thing because they were showing pictures like, of this. Ah, he writes real good. Of this woman, a girl. Child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was um, like a famous socialite. And they had a thing about, oh, yeah, whenever they took pictures of her at, you know, the 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 whatever club that, you know, everybody goes to, they would uh, put a glass of milk in front of her before they took the picture. So everybody knew that she was fine. And it's like, well, no, there's like uh, a gorgeous looking girl who doesn't look like a 16 year old. Hanging out with all these movie stars. Wait, but like, why? What was the purpose of the milk? So that people didn't think she was drinking underage at these uh, clubs. But she was probably right. Oh, of course. And uh, anyway, uh, he falls in love with her. She falls in love with him. He is determined. He wants to fight in the war. Uh, he doesn't. He he gets denied. I forget why. Some physical thing. Flat feet. Something like that. And uh, but like writes. Uh, like 20 letters arguing to get in. Finally, they're like, all right, well, yeah, we're going to, you know, send everybody to war. It's World War II. He goes to war, and this woman stops answering his uh, letters, 
And then he opens up a magazine uh, that he gets over there and sees her uh, pictures of her, and uh, she's marrying Charlie Chaplin, the, the famous star. Yeah. Uh, who, at the time, was in his 50s. Uh, and this girl Isn't it was weird, like eighteen. Uh, you ever see those pictures of Charlie Chaplin when he's an old man? Yeah, so weird. Well, and and she was married to him for another like you know, thirty years or whatever till he died. They had a bunch of kids and everything. He seems like he'd be a lot of fun, and he was really smart. He wrote some good songs. He didn't even know how to talk. That's true. <laughs> um, uh, but can you imagine, like, as a young man being away at war? No. And, and, yeah, but again, there you go <laughs> right the, from there. In the sentence right there. His yeah. first day of service was D-Day, and he was there throughout- uh, Yikes. The entire, yeah, throughout the- They just threw him into the deep end Oh, there, yeah, huh? yeah. Christ. So he was there throughout the entire war, and, uh, you know, it was horrific. Uh, I forget what, what uh, concentration camp that he was there when they liberated, and, you know, of course, it was horrific- and they were just saying, like, all this stuff weighed in. And after the war was over, he had a nervous breakdown, which they say a lot of people did just because he was in almost 300 days of combat with, yes. like, no... Classic PTSD. Yeah. And also, back then, they were just like, nah, we're not going to diagnose this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he didn't... You know he... what? Become a really... Uh, uh, good writer. Yeah, become a really good writer. And, like, when you get... Uh, old you'll mm-hmm. be like kind of cranky and like moody <laughs> and we'll all think you're an asshole because of it no they interview one of his uh friends or, or not friends like uh one of the members of his platoon and you know he's an old man and uh they're asking him about like the stress of it and he's like um still to this day every once in a while uh, a mortar goes off in my front lawn and like he starts tearing up and he's like i've never told my wife that it's like, yeah, this guy's in his 80s, and he's still having flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so craziness. Uh, war's over. He's in the hospital for a little while uh, for uh, a nervous breakdown. Uh, but then he stays in Germany. I forget what the position was, but he was like a detective. You know, Basically, there were a bunch of people where it was like, go find the Nazis because a bunch of them were like, Oh, well, time to take off my Nazi hmm, hat and this mustache yeah, and put a different hat on. Oh, and, uh, beautiful. Yeah, exactly. oh, yeah. Like, no, I'm Joe the farmer now. Uh, so they had detectives to find who, you know, at least the high ranking people were. Uh, he wound up marrying a member of the Nazi party over there. Uh, this young woman brought her back to America. And then like two months later, they were separated. Yeah, uh, I feel like. You know what? Is it just writers back then? Like, yeah, like Bukowski was the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, he's like, oh, I married this person, and then uh, <laughs> it didn't work out, and I just person. got rid of him. Yeah. yeah, but the 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 and things... like it's always kind of like portrayed in their books, it, like like as if it, like oh, this happens to everybody. Like, ah, yeah. oh, then she came in, and I told her, ah, Beat this it. isn't gonna work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Beat it, uh, sister. Yeah, but you know. Uh, yeah, uh, well, apparently one of his unpublished stories that is going to be published now is about that exact thing. Uh, I think it is character names or whatever, but it's obviously autobiographical. Um, R.J. Selenberger. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
but uh it was it was like a two hour long documentary and it it held my uh you know again i don't know how accurate it was it held my attention the whole time it's very interesting see i'm just not that interested in um authors private lives like and and they're not like oh they deserve their privacy yeah but like to me in my mind there's no correlation between like it's like yeah I don't know. well this a- stuff the early stuff was really interesting just because he had run-ins with a bunch of people who were famous or went Silent on to be famous stars <laughs> Uh no I mean they, they talk about uh, how he met uh Ernest Hemingway in France during the war and like Hemingway liked his stuff and that was like you know the biggest thing in the world to him He's a regular regular uh, Forrest Gump Yeah exactly Was watching was. this <laughs> Challenger documentary kind of like It was kind of like watching a smart Forrest Gump hmm. Um but then they show you know If we were smarter we would have been like Zelig this is a uh, 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 he's like Zelig or um, uh, Zippy, that uh, the comic strip. What's Zippy? Is that who it is? Zippy? What's that guy's name? The little bald guy. He goes to like famous people. No, and stuff? no, no. He's just got a Z name. Anyway, uh, but then they show how later in his life, not towards the very end, but like ten years after uh, he he went into hiding, uh, he was known for. Uh, just writing back uh, fan letters from like uh, 18 to 20 year old girls and not luring, but being like, why don't you come to my cabin? And uh, and then like a lot of times it sounded like not really even doing anything with them, uh, you know, physically or whatever. Uh, just and then creeping all over. Yeah, them. just creeping and being like, "Oh, I love your innocence." Like it sounded very uh, Holden Caulfieldy. Uh, who and would then say something was like, like, "I love your innocence"? And then it was like, once he found something wrong with them, you know, he he would like just shut down and be like, "All right, get the hell out of here," Yikes. and then like never talk to him again. So he was yeah, definitely like a huge asshole later on in life. Wasn't he writing letters to uh, women on sitcoms? Um, you had told me you had heard that. Was that not in the thing? No, uh, I feel like there was one that was something along those lines. Yeah, I know. But that was, they said, like, he, he watched a ton of TV and, you know, read the paper, read a, read a ton of magazines, loved movies. Like, he wasn't. Yeah, because he's a person. Yeah, well, uh, but but there's another part of him. Who are you, John Hinckley? You don't think that he's a he's a person that has feelings and watches well, television? Because there's another part of him where they talk about, especially his kids, uh, that he had this little bunker built, his writing bunker, and he got a cot installed in there. And they said like sometimes he would just disappear for a week, and you were not allowed to knock on the door. Any his his kids. Uh, well, at least his daughter, his daughter wrote a book about it and he just sounds like the worst father you could ever imagine or just not even the worst, just completely absent right. and want nothing to do with his kids. That's a pretty absent is bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm it's better he, than like abusive. Yeah, he but, wasn't yeah. abusive okay. or anything. And it doesn't even sound like he was like verbally abusive towards them. It was just that he had no interest in them. Hmm. And it's such a weird thing that he was like the writing was his life, but he wasn't he he had vowed to never publish anything. But between 2015 and 2020, there he set like a bunch of stuff that's going to be published. 
Oh, joy. All right. That'll be like five years after his death, I guess, is what was in the will or whatever. How'd he die? Uh, Old. He died of old. Old. Skydiving. What was it called? Salinger? Salinger. Are you going to read the book? No, the book's like 800 pages long. Yeah, but it's a... Yeah. Yeah, it's a book, not a movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I haven't seen it. Maybe I'll see it. Is it on Netflix? It's on Netflix, yeah. You can't eat pizza while you're reading that book. It's too big. It won't lay flat. It won't lay flat. What? It's too big of a book to lay flat. Oh, yeah, you're right. You can't eat pizza. pizza. Tim, I'll tell you what you can do. You can eat pizza while you watch this documentary. Tom. Yes. Um, today that we're recording this mm-hmm. is what the twenty second, I think. Whatever. It's uh-huh. Tuesday, October twenty second. Yes. Um, uh, was uh the day that Elliot Smith uh died. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B two B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, it's ten year anniversary. I it was yesterday, or maybe I just started seeing stuff yesterday. No, it's ten years ago. <laughs> it feels like yesterday. That's not what I meant. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, perhaps. Yeah, that might be the case. Um, but uh, you and I are both big Elliot Smith fans, right? Yeah. It was a very sad, sad day. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, in college mm-hmm. got a. Uh, an internship at DreamWorks Records, which was Elliot Smith's uh, record label, mm-hmm. at the end, for the sole purpose of uh, maybe I'd get to meet Elliot Smith. I didn't know how the music business worked. Yeah. I didn't know that like rock stars didn't uh, hang out in... Uh, the record label offices? Yeah. You thought maybe you could get like a free uh, Jurassic Park 3 soundtrack out of it, too? 
they, they had uh, they had one of the Neville brothers was was on DreamWorks Records. No, I'm kidding. I'm just talking about DreamWorks. Yeah, I get it. But one Films. of the Neville brothers was there. Um, perhaps we should say uh, Elliot Smith, singer songwriter from the like, is uh, active from the mid nineties uh, to early early aughts because he died in oh three. So I got an internship at this record label, thinking I'd meet he him. He was nominated for an Oscar, Tim. Yeah, he played in that white suit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and then uh, he happened to tragically uh, take his own life. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was an intern there, and just bummed everybody out at the office. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like two weeks later, uh, they sold uh, the record label, mm-hmm. and everybody lost their <laughs> jobs. So that was a bad career move for me. Did you still get uh, college credit? I got college credit, but like I didn't learn much <laughs> other than like how well, sad things can get. <laughs> yeah. Fuck everything, Tim. Go get some more beer. <laughs> yeah. And I was like 20, and I was like, all right, I'll use my fake ID. Um, So, yeah, and then it turns out uh, Elliot Smith uh, hated that he was on DreamWorks. and (laughs) I didn't know this at the time. And he especially hated the interns. (laughs) (laughs) So, actually, uh, Pitchfork.com, you know this? Yeah. They did... uh, they did an oral history of Elliot Smith's uh, music career. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called "Keep the Things You Forget." Mm-hmm. Uh, go, go check it out. It's really good. But um, what's your favorite Elliot Smith album? EXO uh, is probably my favorite. Yeah, it was like uh, he got produced enough. Yeah, but for, like for bef- my delicate ears, right. <laughs> You know, the early stuff that's good with all the tape hiss and stuff. Oh, yeah. No, I like... uh, I like those songs. I thought people were a little too precious about like, no, it's like a friend made you a four track. I was like, no. Oh, the real early stuff? Yeah. Like like, uh, Roman Candle. Candle, And even that... Actually, that first, the self-titled is is really good. And the songs throughout are amazing. Mm -hmm. But like... I don't. I I like things that are rough. I like uh, I like uh, rough around the edges music. You know, yeah. uh, warts and all. Uh-huh. But like the hiss on Roman Candle <laughs> is like, yeah, you can you can't turn it up real loud, otherwise your ears hurt, and you could still barely hear the guitar. In yeah. It, right? What's your favorite song off EXO? Uh, Waltz number two. That's his best song. Yeah. You know what his best album is though? What? Hate me for this. Figure eight. No, figure eight's a, a good album. Real Elliot Smith fans hate me for that, though. Yeah. Do you like the uh, the B side uh, the of uh, the song Figure Eight? That's a good song. Yeah, that's, that's a creepy song. That's uh, he made. It's a uh, schoolhouse rock song. Is it? That's, yeah, because it's, it's yeah, about it like, uh, like multiplication. It. Yeah. Like, yeah. And figure eight is four, two times yeah. four. Um, but uh. Just as one thing, do you remember that um, from a basement on the hill? Right yeah, there? yeah. And the other reason I'm talking about it, this was the most interesting. No, it's not the most interesting part. <laughs> but who they talk to? They talked. They got a lot of good people. Uh-huh. They got a. Uh, hold on, let me let me go through. They got his old manager, and then his manager after that, because. His original manager was his girlfriend for a little while. Mm, that old um, canard. Yeah, she seemed very nice. Uh, and it's so sad mixing, because... Mixing work with pleasure, though. A lot of these people haven't spoken in 10 years because uh, 
spoken to anybody mm-hmm. about this for ten years because like he left like he he left everybody on really bad terms. Right. Like he just got so messed up on drugs. Yeah, and then like everybody like he tried. They tried a couple interventions, and then he was just like, "Get out of my life!" And so they like stopped returning his calls whenever he called, and mm-hmm. like everybody just feels so bad. They got a uh, Slim Moon, who's the uh, Kill Rock Stars founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry Crane, the guy that uh, owns Jackpot Studios, where they did all those, you right. know, the Jackpot demos mm-hmm. that came out. Um, yeah, they got a lot of people. Um, uh, Rob Schnaff, who produced Either Or, XO, Figure Eight. Um, but that from a basement on a hill, right? Yeah. That was the uh, posthumous album. Yeah. So when he was all messed up on drugs, mm-hmm. he went. And this uh, here's why I thought it was the most not not to dwell on the negative. Actually, the coolest part of the whole oral history is when they're talking about the Oscars and how like uh, they tried to like be like uh, the Oscar producers. He was nominated for their uh, Miss Misery, that mm-hmm. uh, Goodwill Hunting song. Uh huh. And uh, the producers of the Oscars were kind of like reluctantly like, all right, (laughs) (laughs) nobody really knows who you are here, but... uh, We have to give you as much time as everybody else. But they didn't have to. Yeah. So they were like, uh, all right, uh, you're only going to get a verse and a chorus. Mm -hmm. And he's like, all right, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, all right, if you don't do it, we're just going to get like somebody else to do it. Oh, his song. Yeah. Yeah. Like... uh, Yeah, because they do that once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And like he was like, oh, I don't want it to be like, ladies and gentlemen, playing the song by Elliot Smith, you know, Richard Marks. Mm-hmm. But just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I like Richard Marks very much. Uh, but uh, and then like Celine, that was the year that Celine Dion. Uh, well, the had, story I had always heard was that she was extremely nice to him. Right. They were talking crap all day yeah. because they got in there and they saw that like. They were like, all right, you're going to perform in this little corner of the stage. We'd Mm -hmm. like you to sit on these steps. He's like, I'm not going to sit on those steps. Yeah. And then they were like, all right. And the rest of the stage is a big replica of the Titanic. For Celine Dion. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh. For my uh, heart will go on. Yeah. So like they were all like, ah, screw this lady. But then she was like uh, telling him. He looked a little nervous backstage and like she came and like. Gave him a, like a pep talk, right? Yeah, like and like apparently it was very effective. Yeah, well, yeah. she's a Canadian; it's in her blood to be nice, right? So, from a basement on the hill was like this. Uh, it was released posthumously. He was mm-hmm. like going like weird and experimental, and it was really mm-hmm. cool. And he was going to work with John Bryan, you know, John Bryan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that never happened because he was too much of a junkie, and John Bryan was like, "All right, get out of here, man." Um. And then uh, friggin', so he went to this other guy, David McConnell, mm-hmm. who uh, just really, he's one of these guys in, in all the uh, the interviews, they were like, it's an oral history, so he's yeah. just like, yeah, he came to me, he was really messed up, um, but I wasn't going to like try to get him to stop taking drugs, and I wasn't going to kick him out, because uh, who knows where he'd go, which yeah. I guess is an excuse. Right. But it's also, like, not the greatest excuse to be like, so I just watched him nod off in the studio. Like, what's the end game for that, yeah, right? Because yeah. he was all messed up on drugs. And then, uh, so afterwards, 
they like, came in. It's like somewhat understandable, but it's not uh, admirable. <laughs> right. And like, so he, I got the sense that like he was pretty opportunistic and he was the uh. last guy that would like work with Elliot Smith, even though Elliot Smith was like cranking out super genius shit. He yeah. was doing a... Uh, King's Crossing, yeah, that's Shooting a great Star. Song. Uh, th- what's the first song off that? Oh my God, what's the name of that song? I'll look it up while you talk. Uh, nobody would like really work with him because he was he was like smoking crack and he was all messed up on drugs. And uh, crack's a type of drug. Yeah. And uh, so then this guy recorded, and then uh, Elliot Smith got mad at him and left, and then he passed away. And then his, Elliot Smith's family came in and were like, give us those tapes. Mm-hmm. We're going to release the album that he wanted to release. Right. And this guy was like, I know how we, how we wanted it. Um, and uh, Rob Schnaff, the guy that was always, uh, was his longtime producer, yeah, said, Dave was kind of an asshole. Whoa. I always tried to be really straight with him. Elliot stopped working with him. I don't know why. And he just felt like he knew exactly what Elliot wanted. Then he talked shit about me in the press without ever talking to me. So here's the thing. Uh Part of me hates this because like, this is the one definitive thing about Elliot Smith's legacy, this oral history. Coast to coast. Coast to coast. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... It's kind of uh, intriguing that there's all this, like... Uh, Still bad blood. Yeah. But anyway, let's forget about all that. Mm-hmm. Everybody should YouTube uh, Elliot Smith playing Miss Misery on the Oscars. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. And everybody go out and buy XO and figure eight. And, uh, and I don't know. Well, while you're on YouTube, look at... um. Celine Dion performing My Heart Will Go On yeah. on the Oscars. And while yeah, you're at the she store, won. go buy the Titanic soundtrack. The Legacy Edition. If ne- you don't have it, you probably have it, but get the Legacy Edition. Yeah, Blu-ray. Oh, I'm just talking about the album, but yeah, of course, get the Blu-ray. If you don't yeah. already have it, 3D. What, what did they... Okay, so I guess it was the 15-year anniversary that they re-released it in the theaters? I don't know if they even had... I feel like it might have had something to do with an anniversary of the Titanic itself sinking. I don't know. I don't know. They came up with some excuse. It was when Avatar Avatar was doing well. Yeah, and they were like, we'll put this other one in 3D. Well, what they should have done is put the two Terminator movies out in 3D. That? I'd watch that. Yeah. My God. Of course you would have. I would have made you watch it. (laughs) Uh, they have recent like uh, remasterings. I watched like a recent remaster of the first Terminator. That's a good uh, movie. Don't talk to me unless I don't need to see a remastered movie. I don't need to hear a remastered album. Um, it's got to be in 3D to get my ass. <laughs> yeah, no. that's the only change you can make to an old movie, or just show the old movie. That's fine. No, make it look better. Clean it up. Look, they made it look gritty on purpose. No, it's because they ain't have a lot of money. It doesn't look not gritty. It still looks like shitty mid-80s Los Angeles. Just you can see the grit. Special effects all still live up. They all still look great. Yeah? Even mm-hmm. in the first one? Oh, yeah. Because the first one, the only real... Oh, like, there wasn't everything much. Everything was practical. Yeah. No, but the second one, too, like the T-1000, that was good special effects for back then. For, for now. 
still looks good. It's not like the the black or white video. No, the black or white video did not age. Remember when well. they had uh, face morphing? Yeah, and it was like, oh my god! Do you remember when uh, like face morphing uh, uh, technology first came to computers? You could like download a, uh, a program that could it would. T- <laughs> Your computer would, all the fans would run and it would take it uh, five hours. And you had to put like a million different points on yeah, each face. Yeah. And it would, and it would render and you would get a, you know, two second AVI file of one picture sh- basically just dissolving into another <laughs> picture. You'd be like, whoa, it's morphing. Worst Elliott Smith album. Worst Elliott Smith album? Um, I don't know. Wait, like, let's not be negative. Let's celebrate the guy's catalog. Yeah, jeez, yeah, Jim, the man's dead. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing really that, you know, there's stuff like uh, New Moon that was put out afterwards, and that's like a collection of yeah, things. Yeah, it's like B-sides and yeah, rarities. Yeah, so that you can't really judge as like an album. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I'm looking, I guess where I'm going, there's no bad Elliot Smith record. No, I'm looking at all of his stuff. I mean, yeah. and unfortunately, that's often the case with people who you know die somewhat young that 34 oh he wasn't that young no i what are you talking about i mean he's pretty young but like i don't know i thought he was in like i thought he was a bunch of records 28 or 29 oh no um put about a bunch of stellar record he wrote more hey tom he wrote more golden songs than you'll ever write hey i've got two years to catch up on uh no you know uh what I was going to say is, yeah, often the case, people who die uh, young or somewhat young, uh, yeah, they, they don't get a chance to make anything crappy. But he really didn't make, like, I can't even think of a song. There are songs that, like, I don't particularly care for, but there's nothing that's like, oh, what was he doing here? Yeah. Even the shitty, like, demos, the shitty just in quality where it's like somebody just set a tape recorder down on a piano, like, they're still really good he was just a very talented uh songwriter and musician yeah that was the one like uh famous death that ever like felt like a gut punch oh yeah because you you would have been like you know what would he be doing now i'm sure he'd be doing something really interesting yeah, somebody in this is like uh in this oral history is like he'd just be wilco now he'd be doing whatever he wanted and yeah. uh, everybody would love him because he's awesome at what he does yeah uh, Heat Miser, two good albums. Yeah, they were loud. Yeah, and I never got into them until like a few years ago. Yeah. This rocks. This rocks. That's what I say when I listen to it. Tim, do you have an album recommendation for this week? Since we're talking about music, I'm not sure if there's going to be a reoccurring segment, but we want to talk about new music. Yeah, you man. Know, we're talking about the past. Tim, I want to hear about the present. Tell me what's going on. Well, um, one of my favorite bands came out with a record, and I feel like this band consistently flies under the radar. Mm-hmm. So um, I think everybody should go out and buy the new Quasi record ah. called Mole City. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually, funny enough, Mm-hmm. Uh, served as Elliot Smith's backing band on a tour once. Yeah, look at that tie-in. But I saw them. Uh, the album's really good. Um, there's ridiculous it's a double songs. album, right? It's a double album. Uh, there, there's, there, there's so much fun. They're a two-piece. 
Um, I saw them last week. It was the best show I ever went to. If you wow. if you have a chance to go see Quasi, even if you don't know their music, mm-hmm. it's it's the greatest drummer in the world, Janet Weiss, my favorite drummer, um, and then uh, Sam Coombs, and uh, he alternates between playing like the piano and the guitar, mm-hmm. and she plays the drums. But they're both. If you don't know Quasi, they're both just playing too many notes all the time. <laughs> but like under like, uh, but uh, o- over that, they, there's just uh, beautiful melodies yeah. and uh, wonderful harmonies. And then at the end, uh, he you know flops around and, and smashes everything up. It's a great show. <laughs> and if you go to the show, Janet Weiss always works the merch table, so you could buy that record as I did directly from her and go, uh, uh, you're, "You're my favorite drummer." <laughs> Did you do that? Yeah. Was she uncomfortable? Um, no, like, I, didn't, I didn't actually uh, do that. Uh, I play the drums too. Yeah. <laughs> um, some people say my style is similar to yours. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess, I guess uh, you were you were a pretty profound influence on the way I play. Did you tap something out for her on the merch table? Did you insist? Like, here, listen. You should go listen to a song called "See You on Mars." Oh, sounds um, uh, sci-fi. Yeah, it's got uh, bleeps and bloops in it too. Nice. That's on like blogs and stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> Tell but, like, us more, Grandpa. No, but that's what they released as like the pre-release, like, as, like so, a like, single. Yeah, kind of. you can like stream it for free and stuff. Um, and if you if you like that, um, mm. maybe we'll put that on our on 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 the post for this yeah, on sure. tcgt.com. or maybe it's playing right now. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows of this crazy internet? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Quasi, Mole City. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tom? You got anything? Well, thank you for asking, Tim. I figured... <sighs> I, I do. Hold on. Let me let me find the name. Uh, oh, God. You don't even know the names of the bands? This is ridiculous. Well, no, I know the name of the band. The band is Tinder Sticks. Do you know Tinder Sticks? Tinder Sticks. I do not know Tinder Sticks. Tinder Sticks was recommended to me years ago by a very drunk uh, British man at a bar. Uh, he had like put on uh, uh, their album on the jukebox or whatever. Tinder Sticks uh, is really good, um, sad old bastard music. Nice. Uh, like, if like, you, is it slow or is it like? Uh, it's slow. Oh, really? If you like the National, this is like, um, like a slower, more depressing the National. Hmm. Uh, I'm not a big National fan, Tom. Yeah. But I think a slower, oddly, a slower, more depressing <laughs> version sounds a uh, more concentrated yeah. version you would like. Yeah. Uh, they just released this album, I think this week or last week, called Across Six Leap Years. Uh, Ten song album. It's pretty cool. Basically, th- this band's been around for, for a while since I, I think at least the early 2000s. I'm pretty sure the 90s. Um, and the singers released like a few solo albums and stuff. Uh but this album, they basically went back and re-recorded ten songs that they didn't think they got right the first time. Hmm. Um, that would infuriate me yeah. if I were a uh, if I were a fan of theirs, mm-hmm. and that was it. Because like, uh, who like that's something some bands do when it's like. Uh, they lose. They they realize they're never getting uh, the rights back to their master right, recordings. Right. So then they and then they're like, "All right, well now we'll we're on a different versions. label. Yeah, we'll do new version. Who did that? I think Someone, Lit did that recently. Yeah, some, uh, 
Yeah, and that's just kind of like, now we own these masters of this. Well, is that is that this kind of situation? And does it even matter if this is the first you're hearing of them? Uh, well, this was the first I was hearing of these songs, and like I went and looked up some of the other ones, and at least like uh, the song that I would recommend, and maybe you're listening to it now, maybe it's on the blog. Uh, I'm gonna mispronounce this, Marcellus Sunshine. 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 <laughs> that word I know. Okay. Uh, Marcellus Sunshine, uh, which was on one of his solo albums, which like I could totally hear because the solo album almost sounds like demo tapes, and then this is a full band version, and it, it the the new version definitely sounds better. Uh, so like that. I haven't gone and listened to the other versions, but I don't think it was like a cash grab. I think it was a, hey, we're going to go back and these are songs because we're, we're not a huge international band. We only had a few days in the studio. Now we've got a little more time, a little more money on production, and this is how we wish we had done it the first time. Nice. Yeah. All right. Oh, and the that. album's called uh, Across Six Leap Years. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, you Did I say that? that? All right. Wait, so that's probably, uh, how often is a leap year? Every four years? Yeah. So have they been together for like 25 years? Oh, maybe, yeah. Hmm. Oh, look at that. Really makes you think, huh, Tom? Really does make you think. Uh, with that, that's all the time we have for this episode of Pop Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like they the show. They could have maybe only been together for 20 years, but you know, maybe like first day of band practice is a leap year. Oh, that's true. Yeah. February 29th. Yeah. First day of band practice. Um, you can email us at popeverything at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. Uh, refute our theories. <laughs> Tell us what you want us to cover. Um, uh, you can. Well, we're yeah, and we're still ch- figuring out the format of the show. Yeah, this is going to be experimental. Stick with us. Yeah. If you do like it, uh, please leave uh, a rating or comment in iTunes. Yeah. Um, check out everything at tcgte.com. Check out our other podcast, uh, The Complete Guide to Everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else, Tom? Anything? I think that's about it. All right. Yeah, we don't need a bunch Fo- of plugs yeah. on this you show. You can follow this show on Twitter, at Pop Everything, right? You, yeah, and you can follow me at your <laughs> pal Tim. Oh, we don't need a bunch of plugs, eh? <laughs> Gotta go. Bye. <laughs> Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.